Good morning, Two Rivers. Good hey, good morning to uh, Blen, to down in Amped. Give it up down in Amped, as well as up in Bearden and way out in Roan County. I hear every time we say Roan County, the room applauds and cheers. So let's applaud and cheer for Roan County. There you go. Gotcha. Hey, my name's Mark. Glad to be here with you this weekend. What a great weekend it is. And just so you know, we're still in the book of Exodus. So if you've got your Bible in front of your journal, you can get to Exodus. We'll be in chapters 13 and 14. We'll get there in a minute or so. But you know what? Labor Day is behind us. Have you noticed that? And I've been in the South longer than I lived in the North, but I'm still a Northerner. I don't understand why you can go back to school before Labor Day. Up North, you don't go back to like the Monday or Tuesday or Tuesday after Labor Day, right? Well, Labor Day's behind us, and a new school year's begun even a little sooner here than most places around the world, but it started here. Teachers have geared up. They're excited. Those who are not fighting the bureaucracy of, of all the hurdles to teach and have not been so discouraged in the whole teaching profession have geared up again for yet another year to teach. And their hope and their desire in teaching is to do something for our students, which is to get them through the subject. By the time they get to the end of the semester or, or perhaps the end of the school year, they want to see them move forward. They want to see them get it and to know the subject at hand. We're all for that, yes? We want them to get it. Will they get it? I don't know. Time will tell. We'll see. And that's where we find ourselves here in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus, and we're in this series entitled The Supernatural. And we're looking at a worldview, how, how we need to, as believers and followers of Jesus, have a worldview that rep represents and reflects a biblical, a word worldview. And so as we jump into the text, let me remind you of a couple things. Before we even get there, God's preparing his people to move forward. If you've, been, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know, what has he done? How has he done that? How has he tried to get his people to know him, to really know who he is and to trust him? Well, he's actually provided 10 different strikes of judgment where God supernaturally walks in and takes the, the, the ordered world that we know and has turned it into chaos for the Egyptians. If you've been around for a while, they're called the 10 plagues. God, God is actually taking the ordered world and deconstructed it and, and decreated it in such a way to demonstrate his power and his, his authority over all that which he's created so that his people would know who he is. His people would know him and trust him. I'm gonna take you all the way back to chapter six. You don't need to turn there. I'm gonna take you there. But back in chapter six, in the early part of this journey that God's taking his people on, he speaks to a man named Moses, and he says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to go, and I want you to lead my people out of captivity. And Moses goes, instructed by God, and he says this to the people. This is God speaking. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And this is what he's trying to get them to grasp and know by the end of the semester. You shall know that you shall know that I'm the Lord your God, that they'd know it. Who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you out into the land, onto the land, which I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you as, as a possession for you, for I am the Lord this, this is God's desire that his people would know who he is. And he's going to great acts, literally acts of judgment, to be sure they know who he is. And I got to tell you, back in chapter 6, this, this proclamation when Moses shows up on the scene and he says to them, hey, God's leading us out. It's been hundreds of years. 
They've been in captivity for a long time, and this guy shows up on the scene, and, and he says, God's leading us out. He's going to take us to a new space. He's going to take us to the promised land that he promised our forefathers. And the very next verse, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, they couldn't even wrap their minds around that. It'd been too long. It'd been, it'd been a story they heard that now has become a myth. Could, could God possibly do this? They, they couldn't wrap their hearts and their minds around it. And and we get to the space in, in the story itself where God's providing supernatural experience after supernatural experience so they would know that God is with them. And here you go. You want to know how it ends? The, the semester ends for them? You want to know how they get there? We're going to actually talk about the, the second half of chapter 13, go all the way to the end of 14, and God's going to walk them through a familiar story. And if you've been around church for a minute or even watch TV for two minutes, you know the story. God takes them through the sea. He parts the waters and takes them through the sea. It's a phenomenal, miraculous demonstration of God's presence and his power with his people. And we're so familiar with it sometimes, it just becomes like white noise. And as they walk through the sea, at the very end, I'm gonna tell you how the semester ends. We're gonna tell you how the semester ends, and then we're gonna go back and unpack the journey a little bit. The semester ends with them getting it. They actually do discover and, and discover discover and understand who God is, and they trust him, and they trust his servant Moses. It's a beautiful picture. 1431, taking the very end of the text we're gonna spend time in today. Chapter 1431, and we'll get there again. We get there the second time, you can underline it. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Do you get that? Israel saw the great what? Come on, say it louder. It's all the great what? Power. The Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Here's the big theme for the weekend. Here's the idea we're gonna rest in for a bit. To know God, our faith must be based on the supernatural power of God. To know God, our faith is based on the supernatural power of God. That, that's where we find it. That's where it's discovered. And I love, I love and hate preachers and teachers who beat up on the Israelites. I feel like... The, People take a pot shot at these people, right? Ah, they're just grumblers, and they can't get it right. They're tripping over themselves, and God does so much for them, and before they know it, they're just complaining and looking for something else, and even our story today, we'll get to it. Like, God parts the red, he parts the sea. He, he causes them to, to cross over on dry ground. If you read ahead a little bit, you know, they get to the other side. After all that they've seen God do, 10 plagues, 10 acts of judgment, 12 supernatural movements, he parts the, he parts the sea, and then they get to the other side, and they wonder, how are we gonna be fed? How are we gonna get, where are we gonna get something to drink? And they start complaining. And I, I know we love to pick on them. And yet, can we just stop for a moment and celebrate what is? They get it. They, they, they end the course. They get to the end of the semester. They get to the end of the school year. And the very thing that God has wanted them to know from the very beginning, that they would know him, they'd know his salvation and trust him, they actually get there. And so I'd love for us to take a moment or two and, and just celebrate it. I think it's critical that we celebrate their story. The supernatural power of God ignites faith. It ignites faith. Their story ignites faith. I hope as we move through their story, familiar to so many of you, I hope we can look at it with fresh eyes. I hope as we move through their story, their story will continue to ignite our faith and to encourage us. We have a resident theologian we all rush to in this study of Exodus. His name's Christopher Wright, and he says it beautifully. He says, the story of Israel crossing the sea as the climax of the Exodus narrative enters into the wider story of God in the Old and New Testaments in a way that's clearly intended to inform and to strengthen the faith of God's people. 
But this is here, so it would, it, it would encourage us and strengthen our faith as God's people. Israel saw the great power of God and they feared the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. They understood, they, they started to grasp who God was and who God is and who God longs to be for them. They get it and we're gonna celebrate that. Israel believed God and did what Moses said. And before we get to the end, we're gonna go back and actually move through the story itself and see how they got there. Back in chapter 13, starting in verse 17, where we dropped off last week, we're gonna pick up. And here's where the story goes on. When Pharaoh led the peop- let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Here these folks were, were finally leaving their space. God, God allowed them to be released. Pharaoh let them go. And, and God didn't lead them in a direct way. He said, if I take them by, by the route that we typically, typically should go, we're gonna pass a lot of military posts. And, and these folks are not ready for this. Even though it says they were geared up for battle, God knew differently. They're not gonna be able to handle this. It's gonna be a lot and too much for them to take place. Plus, he had a strategy he was already working on. He wanted to get them to a place where he was gonna do yet another miraculous work for, for the people of God. And so he moves them in a different direction. Verse 21, and the Lord went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, if you're reading this, if you've been in the story a little bit, he just mentions this as if he's talked about this before. It's almost, when you're reading the story, it's in passing. You have to go back and go, wait, is this the first mention? It's the first mention of this. He says, I'm gonna make sure that you know that I'm with you. I'm gonna give you a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. My presence is gonna be with you. You're gonna supernaturally experience my presence with you as you go. And as they're going, Pharaoh, back in Egypt, he either comes to his senses or not. Maybe his, his ego has been damaged that greatly. They've, they've suffered a great deal of brutality at, at, at a, as a result of God's people, as a result of these slaves that, that, that filled their spaces just moments ago, hours ago. And Pharaoh comes to his senses and he says, are we crazy? We've just seen our whole workforce walk out of town. And so what Pharaoh does is he, he rallies up all those military folks who are left. And I think it's interesting. It says he gathers up the military folks and he chooses 600 of his best chariots and then some other ones. I wouldn't want to be in the other ones, right? But 600 of his best chariots and plus a whole lot of other ones and the warriors to boot. And they go out after the people of God. 14, chapter 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. All right, they're already stumbling a little bit. A little negative, right? They're gonna get to the celebration. Remember where we're going? They get to verse 31, but there's a little bit of a journey to get there. But folks, don't miss this. This is getting intense. Again, don't let your familiarity with the story allow this to become white noise for you. This is getting pretty intense for these people. They're pretty engaged here. And I love good sarcasm. It's not lost on me. And and they don't disappoint. What, Moses, was it not enough? 
We were in slavery back then. Do you bring us out here to die? This is where we're going to meet our maker? Out here in the wilderness? Were there not enough graves back in Egypt? The Israelites are gripped with fear, massive panic. As they look up and on the hill before them, they see the Egyptian army coming after them, 600 plus other chariots and horsemen and Pharaoh himself. And it's legitimate for Moses to speak to this fear. And I was sitting in this for a little bit this last week and I thought, you know, remember, remember at the beginning when God called Moses and he said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses was a little bit reluctant, right? He's like, oh, gosh, shucks, I'm really not a good speaker. It's not gonna go well for me there. Could you help me out a little bit? And God sends Aaron. And so you think Moses is somewhat reluctant, but when you get to this part of the text, Moses is nothing, nothing in, in the area of reluctancy. In fact, he steps up and speaks. He's definitely experiencing the presence and power of God personally in a way that, that, that allows him to step forward and speak in a way to these people with, with great verbose I know when you read, when you're reading the scriptures, and I don't know if you're like me, I'm sitting in the, a dark corner of my house in the morning with the light there, and I'm reading in just passive, wonderful, soft tones, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. Th that's not how you read this. If, if you're in the text and you see the intensity, they're looking up. They're looking up in the crisis of, of the Egyptian army about to pounce. These Egyptians are ticked off. Everyone in their family has had a, a death They've seen their culture destroyed. They've seen Pharaoh, their king, being mocked. They've seen their religion take a beating over and over. And they're going after these people. And the, the folks of Israel look up and they see these folks and, and they're panicked, panicked with fear. And into this, Moses says to the people, and I think with as much tenacity as he can muster up, hey, folks, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And if you read forward a little bit, they see him again, but they're dead on the shore. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to what? Be silent. Shut up. Stop. Look, look at the salvation that God is doing today. And then the Lord said to Moses, and I think this is interesting too. He says to Moses, all right, tell the people this. Tell the people to go to move forward. That's gotta stop. You gotta stop and go, that's a little odd. Go and move forward where? Like, in front of us is the sea, behind us is the army. Go, move forward. So God says to Moses, what I'm gonna do for you, Moses, and I'm gonna do for my people, I'm gonna have you lift your staff, and as you lift your staff, the waters are gonna open up, the sea's gonna open up. What? The sea's gonna open up, and you're gonna pass through on dry ground, and right behind you, the enemy's gonna come in after you, and as you get out, the sea's gonna actually engulf them and swallow them up. What? Move forward? Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand, over the sea. And before he does this, the angel of the Lord, we see in this text, the angel of the Lord, which is God himself, Yahweh, in a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, moves from the front to the back, and, and he brings a separation between the, the people of Israel and the Egyptians for the entire night, so one can't get to the other. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. That should sound really familiar to us, yes? You probably were half listening to me as I read it. Like, I know what's happening. I've seen that. I can see it in my head. All of us have a visual of this because we've seen movies, yes? We've seen this. Special effects. The wall of, of, of water was pulled back and, and the dry land was there. Well, this isn't special effects, folks. This is the supernatural power of God doing a mighty act before his people. I've told you before, one of my favorite places to sit is right on the ocean, right on the ocean front. 
sitting right there. I can sit in the chair forever. And I'm blown away by the, the power, the majesty, the chaos of the waters, both above and what I know what's going on below. It, it's profound. But if I was sitting there in my beach chair this summer and all of a sudden God said, the waters are gonna open up. I'm already blown away by what I'm seeing. The waters are gonna open up. They're gonna separate. You're gonna see dry ground. I'm gonna call you to walk forward. Man, that's, that's incredible. This had to be one of the most scariest, miraculous, wonderful, challenging, fearful moments of their lives thus far. I lost my spot, getting fired up. We're on a whole nother page. Verse 23, and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watched in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic and clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Did you catch that? Let us flee. This is the army of the Egyptians saying, we gotta get out of here. We gotta flee. Why? Because Yahweh's fighting for them. They're actually calling the name of the Lord. They're actually acknowledging who God is. Yahweh's fighting for them. And it should take our minds back to, I think it's the third plague where the gnats came, right? And the, and the magicians and the priests said, we can't replicate this. That's the finger of God. As God pointed to in chapter six and chapter seven, he said, Egypt will know that I'm the Lord. Well, it's a little too late to find that out. They're in the middle of the sea itself and they're figuring it out and determining that this is Yahweh, this is the work of God. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when in the morning, and in the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. All of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Thus the Lord what? Good and strong, thank you. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31, we're back to where we began. Verse 31, Israel saw the great what? The great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Come on, give it up! They got to the end of the semester... They got to the end of the course and they knew who Yahweh was. They knew Yahweh was the God who saves, who rescues, who's with them. God's people are finishing the course well and there had to be a holy dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as they see their people grasping it and getting it and trusting them. Their story of faith is, their story of faith is littered throughout the entire scriptures. It's not just an Exodus story. It's, it's really the, the whole story of salvation. It's how God saves. It's what God does. It's how he reveals himself. From Genesis to Revelation, all throughout, all throughout the, the, the book itself, you see references over and over to Exodus, through Psalms, through the New Testament. It, it gets, an, it gets a, a notable place in the grand chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 where we're told by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry ground, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The supernatural power of God ignites faith. I want you to think about that moment. We're gonna go back one last time. That moment 
when, when, when they were before the sea and they looked behind them and, and all they could see were, were, the, were the Egyptians coming at war against them. That moment was a profound moment. 600 chariots after attacks on their religion, their God, all that was behind them. That, that's, that's what's in front of you is the sea and behind you is the enemy. And in that moment, they had a decision to make. What do we do? Moses is saying, fear not. Let's do this thing. Let's move forward. What do we do? We got a decision to make. We have to make a decision between death and death. We got to make a decision between death, going back to the Egyptians and having them engulf our lives once again, perhaps even destroy us, or death walking into the sea. And that's the choice they were left with. They were left with the space where they had to trust and step out and step in. Israel had a choice to make. They were between a rock and a hard place. Nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide, right? Nowhere to go. They had to make a decision. They had to make a choice. And let me just pause for a second. Sometimes it is easier to not make a choice. It feels that way. Sometimes it's easier to dance with the devil you're with than to trust something else. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's easier not to move. Not to move at all. In fact, I think we, we work overtime sometimes at self-sabotaging our, our journey forward. Well, well, to actually step forward, to surrender, to trust God in a way I, I can only hope, dream, or imagine, to, to do that would be risking so much. So I'm gonna own control. I'm gonna self-sabotage my, my, my faith and my movement, my, my, my very movement in trusting God and moving forward. It's a choice between death and death, and I think it's a choice also between death and death to self. There's something that they had to die to within themselves to trust God and to step forward. They could have moved backwards or they could move forward. And Moses is saying, what I want you to do, folks, what I want you to, to do is to move forward. Our choice is bet between death and death to self. And that's the decision. That's the choice that sits at the heart of Yahweh. It sits at the heart of, of Yahweh's salvation, of knowing his salvation. God has done everything he possibly can to rescue and save us. And he's asking us to do one thing, step into it, accept it, move into it. Receive it, and not just a yes to Jesus for the first time, and I hope every one of you made that yes to Jesus. You've committed your heart to, to Christ and are following him, but, but that's, that's Yahweh's salvation every day of our lives. It's, it's making that decision over and over and over again throughout chapters of our life. We're saying, yes, I know the wall behind me. I know the wall in front of me. I know what you're calling me to, and God helping me, I believe, help my unbelief, help me to step forward. And the encouragement from this story for me, and I hope it is for you, that it ignites your faith, I hope it ignites your faith in a way, it's possible for us to believe God and to trust him for new and fresh ways. It's possible. It's possible for us to trust God. It's possible for us to actually see and experience that yearning that lives within all of us. There's got to be more. And he's saying there is. There's so much more for you. I just need you to step forward. I need you to move forward. I need you to go. Get your eyes off the past and move forward. What he's calling us to. We know from the parable that Jesus told about the seeds that it, it doesn't take massive faith. Ah, that's for people of great faith. I, I don't think, I think great faith is acquired and, and probably built over years, but, but it starts with this kind of faith. Uh, the size of a mustard seed, it says. If you give, if you give yourself to, to God to the degree of a mustard seed, God and the power of his Holy Spirit is gonna, gonna move in in that space and, and place and multiply it in ways we never dreamt, hoped, or imagined. My faith is ignited. My faith is ignited by the supernatural power of God. And my faith is also solidified there. It's solidified in the supernatural power of God. It, 
We, we've just seen, and, and God did this for his people. He said, you want to go to class? I'm going to take you to class. He said, I want to give you 12 supernatural acts. The first one is when Aaron threw his staff down and it became a snake. And then he moves through 10 plagues of judgment, 10 supernatural acts of judgment. And now on the 12th, book ended here, he, he, he said, I'm going to walk you through dry ground. You're going to escape your enemy and you're going to walk through the, the, the sea floor itself on dry ground as I hold the waters back. And as you get through, they're actually going to implode on, on your enemies. And, and to, 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 to make sure that you know that I'm with you, I'm going to give you a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead you by day and by night. That's what God's done for these people. Israel is being recreated as the people of God. There, there's, there's a recreation taking place with them. You think, why do they need a recreation? Well, let's be mindful of the story. Remember, They've been in captivity for 430 years. None of you are 430 years old. None of you. Okay, I'm not going to say that. A couple of you, maybe. I'm just saying. Nobody's 430 years old. They, they had a way of thinking, a way of feeling, a way of believing that, that for 430 years they'd, be, they'd grown accustomed to. I'm sure they, they heard the stories of faith. And at some point, the stories of faith had to feel like myths to them as they got up every day and went back to work as slaves to the Egyptians. And God says, I want to recreate. I, I want to give you new and fresh experiences. I want you to have firsthand information, not just what you read about from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to experience something new and fresh in, in a way that's going to build your history, build your dependency on me, build your trust in me, that you'll be able to walk forward and be the people I've called you to be. And God demonstrates his power over the Egyptians and reveals himself to the Israelites by executing judgment. Israel's fear then is transformed from, from wrong fear to right fear. They were a fearful people. It said here in the text, they were greatly terrified. That's pretty scared and panicked. They were greatly terrified. Their, their fear goes back long before the parting of the sea. Their fear goes all the way back. Like They, they, they were taken into captivity. They, they feared their captors. They feared the people who... who, who really ravaged over them on a daily basis. Remember the story where they were asked to make more bricks with less supplies? They feared that they'd lose their lives as a result of that. And now, now they're fearing as they look up on the mountain and they, and they see behind them the, the Egyptian army coming out in full force against them and they fear and they're panicked about this. Israel's fear is transformed from wrong fear to right fear as they see Yahweh's fighting for them. Yahweh's at war fighting for them. What, what a profound, what a profound infusion of who God is to their world and to their existence. Not only has God been providing for them, but he's been fighting for them too. Their faith is solidified in the supernatural power of God. And I hope you're getting and, and grasping the parallels between Yahweh, faith, salvation, and our faith, Yahweh, salvation. God has done a supernatural work in their lives. And here's the truth about you and I, and I hope and pray that every one of you are followers of Jesus and you've said yes to Jesus. If that's your story, if that's your, if that's your decision to follow Christ, here's what's true supernaturally about you. And here's what we believe supernaturally. We believe that God himself left the throne of heaven and came to earth in the form of a man. We believe that. That's supernatural, that God himself would become a man and step into the world in which we live we actually believe that God himself not only became a man, but lived a perfect life as boy, adolescent, and adult. Lived a perfect life. We believe that, that God himself, living as a perfect man, went to a cross, and he himself took on all the sin of the world. That's supernatural. Who can do that? God. Only God. God took on all the sin of the world. There's enough sin in this room to drown one of us. Right? 
He took on all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, and taking on all the sin of the world as the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, went into death itself, died the death that only he could pay to do what? To ransom the captives and to set us free. Folks, that's supernatural. That's what we believe. That's what we cling and hold our faith onto. That's what God has done for us. And that wasn't even enough. He went further than that. He walked out of the grave and declared his freedom over death and sin. Has no longer has a hold on us. We're free in Christ. Free in Christ. And then he returned to the Father to sit at his right side to intercede on our behalf. And because he didn't want to leave us alone, he didn't give us a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. He gave us the presence of his very spirit who resides within us. Folks, that's supernatural. The spirit of God rests and resides within every one of us who've called on the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And it's the same spirit of God who en enables us, empowers us to live this life and who's fighting for us. You got a God who is fighting for us. That's supernatural. And that's worth celebrating. That's what, that's what God was longing for his people to grasp and to know. That's what he's longing for us to grasp and know as we move forward, as he's recreating our history as his people in profound ways that God would have his way amongst us. Our faith, your faith is solidified in the very same way. The supernatural power of God we were in services a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were singing a song, and I always listen to songs critically. I'm, I'm sure other people have done the, their homework before they get to a platform, but I was listening to a song, and, and we were singing something. Somewhere in the song, the line went, like, God's fighting for us. He's fighting my battles. And, and, I, and I always sit and go, is he? Is he, though? Is that true? And I think the reason I questioned it, because I didn't understand it, the reason I questioned it was, was I, I was fighting a battle with with a particular area in my life with somebody, and I thought, was well, God fighting for that? And I gotta say, no, he's not fighting for that. We gotta be really careful. We, when we sing songs that God's fighting for us, he's not fighting my battle with the neighborhood association, the guy that left his boat out there long, way too long, <laughs> or the person at school that's just driving you, you know, bat crazy. Like, he's not fighting that battle. When we, when we sing that song that God's fighting, he's fighting with us, he's fighting for us, he's not fighting our battles, we're called to fight his. God's committed to the battles, not committed to the battles I've chosen. He's committed to the battles he's in. He's committed to the battles he's in. You want to know what battle he's in? He's in the battle of you and I knowing him, trusting him, following him to the degree that other people are, are drafted in and also ignited and solidified in their faith because they know him, love him, trust him. That's the battle he's fighting. Paul talks about it in ways, he says, I'm, 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 for, I'm, I'm giving myself and forging myself and, and giving myself with agony that, that Christ himself would be forged in you, that you'd be transformed, that you'd be a people that reflect Christ. And sometimes the battle that he's fighting, hear this, it's gonna hurt a little bit, isn't out there, it's you. He's fighting you to do the work he's called you to do. He's fighting you to, to, to actually accept and believe the narrative that he's speaking into your minds and hearts. Remember the text? 430 years of thinking in one direction, one way. I don't have 430 years, but I have a few decades of, of old themes, things that people have said to you, people that have believed about you, that the first thing that happens in your mind, in your world sometimes, you go to this, this text, this narrative that goes on in your head, and you actually unravel the truth of who God is and start believing something old. And God's saying to you, no, I'm fighting you that you would see yourself as a free people, that you'd see yourself as a people Yahweh has saved and is continuing to pour himself into, forming you into the very likeness of Christ himself. I'm gonna go personal. I've had, 
I've had four, five, six moments, chapters in my life that I know that I know that I know I've experienced the supernatural power of God. I know that. I know that there's nothing, nothing in the story, nothing in the narrative that I could, I could explain away and make it consequence or this just would have happened anyway. I know that I know that I know God has, has done a work in my life in, in a few chapters of my life, several chapters of my life that I can't deny. And what's so encouraging about that, and I know you have the same stories in your life as well, what's so encouraging about that is that when the moment happens and the morning comes, and it comes often for me, if you don't like your pastor talking this way, get over it, but if it comes often for me where I wake up sometimes and I go, is this real? Is this all real? This can't possibly be real. This seems preposterous. And the question all of us wrestle with in every area of our lives sometimes is, can I really trust him? Can I trust him with this? Can I trust him in this? Can I trust him with her, with him, with them? Can, can, can I really trust God in this? And it's these stories in my life and these stories in your life that I, I go back and God brings them back in, in my own history and I go, I know that I know that, that God did something then that was beyond what I could ever hope, imagine, or expect and God did it. And sometimes when God does these miraculous works in our life, he parts the sea and we walk through on dry ground. The angels sing, the waters are held back and the check for tuition is in the mail. <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. I've had those moments. But God's power and presence isn't just revealed in the parting of the sea. I've also experienced God's power and presence in the wandering in the desert and wondering if I could get up the next day, and where my next meal's gonna come from, and will I, will I really get water from that rock? Can I really trust you in the hard things of life? Can I really walk back into my marriage emotionally? Can I really walk into these relationships that you've called me to? Can I really face the day tomorrow because of the people at work or the people at school or whatever? Can I do these, can, can I walk forward? When I'm asking that question, I, I go back and I, I look at, of course, of course I can, not because of who I am, but who God's demonstrated himself to be, he's trustworthy. He wants me to know, Yahweh wants us to know him, to know him in such a way that, that we walk in him and we're able to take those steps of faith he's called us to, to step into all that he's got for us. I'm gonna go one step further. There's the sea. Here's the battle behind me. God's been after me to take a step forward in an area of my life he's been drilling down on me for decades. And right now, he's calling me to take the next step. And in full um, authenticity and honesty, I'm having a hard time moving. I'd rather stay in the crud that I've created than to trust him for the freedom he's promised. And it's probably true of you too. And what's true in the story for us, it's possible for us to move out. It's possible for us to step forward. It's possible for us to actually make that leap as small as it may be for me and for you, God's calling us to do that. He's calling us to, to move out, to move on, to step into it. This week, we're gonna do that. We're gonna take the next step. Yes? Yes? Yes, we're gonna take, that. We're gonna take the next step together. And part of the next step for us is gonna be engaging even more in the story. We're gonna continue to engage in the story. We're gonna step into the story. We're gonna actually live it out together. We're gonna spend time together Individually, but corporately across all of our campuses, all of our venues, we're gonna ask God to continue to reveal himself to us, to give us the courage we need to step forward and, and the power that comes from, only from his Holy Spirit to do the very work he's called us to do. And we're gonna 
We're going to step forward in that, and we're going to engage in that, but we're going to ask God some questions. And here's the supernatural reality that, God, that we know about God. God is actually alive and well and speaks to us. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I hope you know that. God wants to say something to you. He's always wanting to talk with you. He's always wanting to hear from you. God is speaking. We believe God speaks through his word. We believe God speaks through other people. We believe God speaks to our hearts and our minds if, we'd be, if we pause long enough to listen and ask. And so here's the question we're going to practice this week, and we're going to start here today. Jesus, what's my next step? What's the next step you're calling me into? And let me just tell you this. If you think, wow, this, is, this message really wasn't for me, folks, wake up. This is for you. This is for every one of us. There's not a follower of Christ where God isn't calling us to move forward and take another step. He's calling us to move into the next place of what he has for us, what he longs for us to experience, what he longs for us to do. There's a next step for every one of us. And so we're going to practice the supernatural presence of God right now and ask him a question. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And Father God, Jesus, would you speak to us right now? Would you cause us to know what it is that you've been stirring in our minds and our hearts? What, what's the old narrative that you're seeking to, to kill and to finally destroy and cause us to step into the next thing you have for us? Just, we know there's probably 20, 30 things you could be speaking to us about. Would you just give us one? Would you just give us one simple next step? Would you speak to us now by the power of your very spirit? And if you're new around here and you think, this was weird, this got strange real quick. I think I heard something, but it sounded like my voice. Yeah, because that's the voice inside your head. But, but I can almost guarantee you that's not your voice. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you, telling you, I've got you. I, I want you to believe. I want you to trust. I want you to know that I want more for you. And I want to give you the courage and the power to step into it. God, would you do that for us today, tomorrow, this week? Would you cause us to be a people who know you, know the salvation of Yahweh? It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Hey, before we leave, before we move into the, the last part of our time together, I want to stand behind Moses' words. And I love how Moses started out with some insecurity but ended up being pretty confident. And this is what he knew about the presence and power of God. So much so that he spoke it to, to the people that he was, he was leading. I want to speak this to you today. Hey, folks, fear not. Stop being so afraid. Stop it. Stand firm. Stand firm. See the salvation of God? He's actually in this with you, and he's fighting for you. And here's what he's calling you to do. Step up. Step in. Step forward. Let's move. Let's step forward. Amen? Let's do this thing. God's called us to step into all he has for us. And if you read ahead next week, we're going into chapter 15. It's the Song of Moses. He sings this whole story back to God. Worship is a beautiful gift. Worship is not just the singing of songs. It's the living out our lives and surrender to him in such a way that, that he owns and, and all the, who we are belongs to him. But it certainly is an expression of our worship, an expression of our hearts. So no better way for us to end a service together than to stand and sing and declare our trust in Christ and Christ alone. Let's stand.